0: Cop Talk, Talking Crime, Cases, and Backing the Blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective. I'm here with my co-host, Captain of Police, NYPD retired Captain Ed Mamet. How are you, everybody? It's Ed Mamet. Glad to be on the show again with Kevin and esteemed guest. So today's guest is Marsha Ferranto. Did I say that correctly, Marsha? She's with the National Law Enforcement Officers Fund. Welcome, Marsha, and thank you for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So Marsha, if you don't mind, would you tell our audience basically what the foundation, the fund actually does, the history, how you got involved as well as the history to this foundation?
2: Sure. So the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund is first and foremost the leading authority on all line of duty deaths. We have the only law enforcement campus in the nation that exists only to honor the profession of law enforcement and for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. And we operate under three pillars. The first, of course, being the memorial that is on one side of our campus. On the other side of our campus is the National Law Enforcement Museum that exists to honor the profession of law enforcement. And the third pillar that we operate under is our Officer Safety and Wellness Program. It is our effort to implement a program that helps to keep names off the wall. And we're located in Washington, D.C., right near Judiciary Square. And we're open to the public. The museum's open to the public Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's open to groups all week long. And of course, the memorial is accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. And what is the significance of the roll call? The roll call of heroes?
2: Yes. So each year, many of you know, we have Law Enforcement Week in Washington, D.C., and during that week, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund holds a candlelight vigil. And the candlelight vigil is where we gather on the nation's mall, the nation's the national mall, and we read the names of the fallen officers from the year prior. This year on May 13th, we will be gathering on the national mall. they will be anywhere between 30 and 40,000 people coming to the candlelight vigil where we read the names. Many of those people are survivors, the loved ones of the law enforcement officers who have lost their lives. And the rest of the audience is law enforcement themselves. And we gather on the mall on the 13th and at 8 p.m. we start reading the names. This year we'll be reading the names of 556 fallen officers. 226 of those officers actually lost their lives last year in 2022. The remainder of those officers we call historic deaths. I think it's important to define why we are the leading authority on line of duty deaths. We are the only organization that has a stringent review process for every case of every fallen officer. There are other organizations, for example, like ODMP, Officer Down Memorial Page. They do an excellent job at letting the nation know about recently fallen. So any law enforcement officer who has lost their lives, every law enforcement life loss is a tragedy. How we differentiate ourselves is that we then define which of those deaths were considered a true line of duty death. All right, so let's get back to May 13th. So when we stand on the dais and we read the names of these 556 officers, you can know that every one of those officers have been determined to be a line of duty death. By the way, the final step of the process is when their peers decide with all of the evidence in front of them, their law enforcement peers, whether this would, per our criteria, acknowledge it to be, they will then acknowledge it to be a line of duty death. When I say that we had 226 from 2022, the remainder are historical deaths. And the reason that that's important is because not every case that comes through the process, you can just like, it's obviously a line of duty death. Some are obvious, many are not, including COVID. So we have had many COVID fatalities but our review process remains the same. And those cases have to go through the same kind of criteria review as any other line of duty death. <clears throat> that review takes a long time. A lot of the medical deaths, whether it be a heart attack, COVID, those kind of medical deaths, we have doctors review, we review autopsies, we review, you know, cause of death, what the autopsy rate, then we take a look at what that law enforcement sc- officer schedule was prior, I'm referring to COVID at this point, but had they not been on duty for the two weeks prior to contracting COVID, they certainly would not meet the criteria for a line of duty death due to COVID. That's just you know one of the examples. But we will read the names of the 556 that have gone through the process. We have about 60 people on our dais who come to the podium, we have survivors. We feature a fallen officer from the prior year, a video on that officer, their life, their sacrifice to represent all of those whose names are being read and who we are honoring. So that's the roll call of heroes that we go through on May 13th. It is probably the leading reason why people come to Washington for a police week is to find themselves over to the National Mall. Many of them are standing for hours. It is one of the most impactful experiences I think that anyone can have, not just <laughs> law enforcement. When we, when we end the ceremony, everyone lights a candle. So for as far as you can see on the National Mall, are people with candles held high in honor of those men and women who have sacrificed their lives to keep our community safe.
0: Marsha, where do you get the information from?
2: So... When there's a fallen officer, sometimes we will seek the information, but most likely the department or agency will fill out the paperwork that is on our website. They'll fill out that paperwork and send it into to us. It's an important distinction to make. Many people think, even departments and agencies, that if they submit to PSOB, which is the benefits portion of a fallen officer, if they... If they submit to PSOB, they're submitting to us, and it's not the case. Our criteria is different than PSOB. It always has been different than PSOB. I think our criteria might be even more stringent than PSOB as far as um, um, being approved as an official line of duty death. But they submitted online, and that's how we start the case.
0: Are you sure that you get everybody?
2: How do you guarantee that
0: you? get every single line of duty death I know that the FBI keeps statistics on police officer deaths but it seems to me that you go beyond that so I was just yeah. wondering how do you ensure that you just you get about everybody that's that's involved
2: so it's impossible to be a hundred percent sure but we have relationships with almost every department every agency around the country because they've all had some kind of experience that has brought them unfortunately into our into our circles. So it's either directly from the lead in that department or agency, or it is the surviving family who reaches out to their department and asks for a case to be started. So a lot of it is us understanding the research and what's going on. And we do sometimes, will compare our notes to FOP FBI, to make sure that we cross-reference and get as many as possible. It is true, Ed, that some departments don't submit the name for a line of duty death. And sometimes it's not until five years later did somebody say, well, why wasn't this person's name engraved on the memorial wall? And so they can start a case at any time.
1: Marsha, do you find the numbers going up each year as well from 9-11 related deaths?
2: Yes. We still are adding 9-11 related deaths. So tragic. I think last year we added six. I'm aware for this year of three that we're adding from 9-11. So it continues. 9-11 continues to kill.
1: Yes.
2: It is far reaching. These men and women, you know, they went into this environment you know, not thinking about, well, what's the protocol? You know, what is it that we should be doing? They right. just went in to save lives. Right. And because of that, a lot of them were exposed to things that are continually taking lives.
1: Right. And, and you know what, too, on that note, I was there. I was at 9 I was working in YPD. I was active. I was there for 9-11. But with that said, there was many other law enforcement personnel and, and emergency medical people who came from outside New York. And then said he came from Alabama. Then he went back home to Alabama, and unaware of some of the benefits to them and their families, they're unaware of it. So we actually had on Jeannie Kelly on our show, who actually do you know Jeannie Kelly? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so she was great. She really informed a lot of folks who were really not educated on what they what their resources are. Who you know responded to nine eleven, whether it's day one or three weeks later, and whatever their involvement was, and now years later, getting sick. So. There is benefits for them and their families. And that's what Jeannie was on a show to make people aware of that. So I'm just curious of how many, unfortunately, how many, you know, if you get these numbers every year from nine eleven related deaths.
2: So they continue to come in, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to continue to see that over the next few years, unfortunately. Right.
1: Unfortunately. Correct. Correct. Ed?
0: Yeah, I was asking one of the, the significance of the candlelight vigil on May 13 every year. Another key events. What what is that about?
2: So I think the other key events you might be referring to are what is happening during police week and why people are coming. So the other key event is the memorial service on the Capitol Lawn. FOP hosts another memorial service. It's on the fifteenth. That will be Monday this year. It usually starts around noonish, I believe. So that's a big that's a big event. Over at the, on the campus, the law enforcement campus at the Memorial, we do stand watch for the fallen on the 15th. That is a very, the whole week at the Memorial is a very solemn week. And actually the solemn week, the pr- preparation for that solemn week actually starts on April 10th when we start engraving the names on the wall and people as at 10 deep are at the Memorial 24 hours a day during police week. If you go over there at midnight, it is crowded. It is as crowded as it is at 6 a.m. in the morning. There are people that come that don't leave all day. This place is a very sacred place for many to attend. So anyway, we do Watch for the Fallen. It is the 15th. That goes from for 12 hours where we place a wreath in the center of the memorial And I look forward to you guys coming over and seeing it. It's amazing. We put a wreath in the center. We have Honor Guard that take 15-minute shifts in standing watch over the wreaths, symbolic to standing watch Bruno. Bruno, he's your numero uno. Or all the fallen. And I can't tell you how many honor guards we have signed up for those 15 minute shifts. You can imagine we're doing it for 12 hours and they're standing for 15 minutes. So we have that. We also have the museum that is opened every day for the public to come in and experience sort of walk in the shoes of law enforcement. Every day you'll see uh, events happening at the memorial. You will see a canine memorial. That happens. You'll have different groups from U.S. Mint to Border Patrol to even some of our members of Congress coming over to honor the fallen from their state. That's really the cadence of the week for us over at the campus.
0: You know, you know, you mentioned before the uh, the engraving. I was watched your video yesterday. It was a very interesting process. Could you describe that, how that's done?
2: Yes, so since the beginning of time, since we've had the the wall, we've had the same engravers up until last year because it is such a unique skill to be able to actually fit the names, let's fit them on the wall, then actually engraving them on the wall the two gentlemen who used to do it just aged out. It was time. Actually, they probably went three or four years beyond what they wanted to. But it is a, for the engravers, for the men that are doing this, that know how to engrave stone, I've talked to each of them before they get started. And it is a very, very sad two weeks. Then they know every name that they're engraving represents spouses that are alone, parents who have lost their children, children who have lost their parents, and they know the significance and the meaning behind it. But it is truly a skill to not only get it right and placed right, but to watch these men work, even the depth of the engraving, you know, that matters to us because that wall needs to last in perpetuity. And as you know, stone can wear So the preciseness of that engraving matters not only just so it looks good, but so it lasts. And they're highly skilled and able to do it. They're amazing.
0: I also noticed that you're going to enlarge the wall to accompany, unfortunately, future deaths over the next 30 years or so.
2: Yes. So we just, last year, expanded the wall. It was a $2 million project. Unfortunately, it was necessary. The original wall will most likely run out of space by next year, at the end of next year. I think we'll go through this one, and then we'll go through one more engraving, and we will then be moving to the added layer on top of the wall. It's anticipated that that addition will take us through to 2064 is what we have estimated. And then there's going to have to be... We're already starting to look at what the next step would be.
0: You know, you made mention of the cost. You said it was a million... How much did you say? A million dollars? Two million. Two million. So that opens the door to the need for continued funding.
2: Well, and of course... You know, being a nonprofit professional, I believe very seriously over the fact that nonprofits exist if they're fundable. There's a lot of nonprofits out there that have really important missions, but if they're non-fundable, they have to cease to exist. We are so important. The mission of this organization is so essential to our nation that, yes, the funding is essential for us to continue I will add this. I don't know if you've heard of Police Unity Tour, but Police Unity Tour, they ride in. It's about, I'm going to say 800 men and women. I think it might even be more than that. Ride in from New Jersey into the memorial onto our campus on the 12th of every year. And they donate. Their ride donates anywhere between 2 million and 2.8 million to the organization. Take a look at it, please, Unity Tour. Uh, If you know anybody who wants to ride, what an experience it is watching these men and women ride in. Really dedication. One of the interesting things about watching them ride in. Some of the writers you see write in, and they're just beaming with pride that they made it, you know, and they're so excited to have been there and to have done this. The other people you see riding in, the tears are just pouring down their face as they get to the memorial because they either rode for their partner, they rode for someone in their department, and the emotion is so immense. When they arrive, you can read it on every writer's face.
0: Well, hopefully enough people listen to this podcast, uh, you will get more contributions.
2: Yes, we depend on that. I think that, you know, our nation is realizing how important law enforcement is and they're stepping up to honor these men and women who are losing their lives daily to keep us safe.
0: To get on to another subject, the the end-of-the-year report appears that there's a growing trend in firearms-related line-of-duty deaths.
2: There is. You know, we, year over year, it remained the same. We had 64 firearms-related fatalities this year and 64 last year. The significant number actually is if you look at decade over decade. And if you look at decade over decade, we're looking at 21% more firearms related fatalities. And that's what's causing us pause. That is a very large number. We recently, after we issued this report, we had a firearms summit where Director Dettelbach of the ATF came and presented. He talked extensively on this trend and that day, the ATF had produced a, or maybe the day after in January, had produced a document called National Firearms Commerce and Trafficking Assessment. And I recommend for anyone listening who is concerned about this 21% increase to go and take a look at that and the findings. It's pretty incredible what's going on as it relates to firearms. You know, one of the things that that is obvious and that is the individuals that are responsible for this increase are not the same individuals that are interested in finding out what the legals, the legal, you know, ramifications are around buying guns, using guns, altering guns, right? And this market is causing extreme changes within these statistics. I think Director Dettelbach is doing a pretty good job in addressing them. But it is something that we need to focus on. It's something that every organization that's dealing with officer safety and wellness needs to realize that these men and women that are going out need to be well protected. They need to have the equipment necessary to handle some of these changes that we're seeing around the country in illegal firearms, how they're being used, where they're being found. So anyway, it is an increase. It is something that I think is a warning. 21% mark. And I think it's something that we all need to be paying attention to.
0: I have a theory about that. I wonder how you feel about it. This increase that we're talking about has taken place since the George Floyd incident, correct?
2: Yes. So we're looking over the last 10 years.
0: Right. So my theory is that because of what's happened, many officers are reluctant now to um, use firearms, or they're, they're hesitating. And, and perhaps that's what's happening where because of their hesitation, they're getting shot. Do you feel the same way?
2: I think there's a lot of blame to go around for this, if you will. But, and I think that's a piece of it. You know, I think that when law enforcement doesn't feel supported, you're going to find more hesitation. You're going to find more moments of pause that is creating dangerous environments. But, you know, there's one thing that we all know for sure. And that is everyone, law enforcement, our political leaders, our citizens, all want one thing, and that's safety. They all want to be safe. And until we get all those three components working together, starting with our leaders of our nation to stop demonizing the profession of law enforcement and start pulling these citizens and and law enforcement together together, It will continue to result in deaths, not just deaths for law enforcement, but deaths for citizens.
1: You know, police officers, as we all know, have a split second decision to make at times and everyone else gets to sit around a round table for days, weeks and months to figure out, well, maybe they could have went this way or that way. Well, guess what? When you're in the police officer's shoes, they have to make a decision and hopefully it's the right decision. Most of the time it is the right decision, but sometimes it's not but again, it was a split second decision. Also, how many attendees do you have, Masha, at your at this event, Police Week?
2: So over the week, we're probably looking at around thirty to forty thousand. Maybe even more. But sometime during that week, they're coming through the memorial mm-hmm. and they're coming through the museum. So it's hard to count. Where we get our best count is actually at the candlelight vigil, but we're looking at about thirty to forty thousand.
1: Oh. Oh, that's, that's good. Now, is it just national? Uh, is it also global and police officers from, the, you know, on the, the UK and Ireland, you get folks from there or so Israel? Or is it just basically we
2: No, national? we do get law enforcement hmm. from Israel. Oh, Actually, wow. There's law enforcement from Israel who ride in the police unit tour. So yes, we do get international representation. And they're honestly coming over to honor our men and women who are keeping us safe. It's an amazing tribute from those countries.
1: Ireland too, as well, Ireland?
2: I haven't seen Ireland, but UK definitely, Israel, yes. And we actually get, we were just talking about it last week. We're going to try to get more international representation, the candlelight vigil to be there with us.
1: Right. That's something we'll be doing on Cop Talk as well. We'll be getting some folks from Israel and Ireland and UK and elsewhere. Right, Ed?
0: (laughs) That's right. We're trying very hard to make this program global.
2: Okay. Well, if you need any help, just let me know, because I know a few folks I can connect you with.
1: That sounds great. That sounds great, Marsha. Thank you.
2: Ed?
0: Well, I think, Marsha, you do a great job.
1: It's an honorable thing that you're doing.
0: And we're looking forward to being there this year. I've never gone before, and I really would like to go.
1: I intend to go.
2: Well, Ed, when you get there, you make sure that somebody comes and gets me so I can shake your hand.
1: <laughs> Marsha, thank you for all the great work you do. We're looking forward to seeing you down there this year in Police Week in May. What are the exact dates again? I'm sorry.
2: Police week will start on May 11th and it'll run through the 17th. Most of the events will start, will be on the 12th and the 13th and the 15th.
1: Okay, great, great. Well, Ed and myself will be down there, along with Cop Talk and some folks from WABC Radio. Marsha Ferranto, thank you so much for being here on Cop Talk, and stay safe, and we'll see you soon.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye now. (laughs) Bye-bye.